Professors FM. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. Mike Lewis and Doug Battle with you today. Okay, Doug, biggest story in sports last week was also incredibly inconsequential. That doesn't happen a lot, but Sports Illustrated basically disappeared, at least for the moment. So let me let me ask you a question. When you think of sports media brands, what comes to mind? I think ESPN, first and foremost. Okay. The big dog. The big the big boy. And now it's like, you know, you got the, the Fox Sports presence, but ESPN kind of dominates. And then the, Fox Sports 1? Yeah. I mean, okay. I don't know. I've never watched. Like, do they have their own version of Sports Center? I have no idea. No, they seem to have a lot of the guys that used to be on ESPN. Like, I know. they. Guys. Well, they hire, like, all the yeah. big dogs, but it's like people are still tuning in to ESPN just by default. And so on the print side of things nothing touches sports illustrated i mean the closest i can think of is like the athletic and and a lot of local or like rivals or that you know the kind of niche sites you know bleacher report i know you've done some work with fan-sided i'm just naming the stuff that comes off the top of my head now that's that's kind of interesting to me because i i think sports illustrated i mean it's the power of the brand name right sports illustrated had this enormous Brand name, right? So even a guy your age, 27, 28. Yeah. SI is on your on your radar. Well, I'll tell you what, though. we grew up with SI kids. So they they used to have kids editions and I remember halfway through each one it would have like a fold out poster of a new player every week and my room was just Sports Illustrated posters with Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady and Allen Iverson. And it was uh, NFL too. So Chad, o- Chad Johnson, when he was Chad Johnson, I remember having his poster. Just, uh, you know, that's kind of uh, how I was introduced to Sports Illustrated was the kids edition. And I think part of what made Sports Illustrated so appealing to me is I wasn't a big reader growing up. Still really am not. But man, it was some great photography in there. And, and the posters... And the covers, I think the covers are the most iconic part. And when Georgia won a national championship a couple of years ago, first thing I did was buy Sports Illustrated. I, I somehow, I think someone gifted me one as well. So I ended up with you know one in every room, it seems like. But yes, I, the covers and the artwork. And on top of that, that's where I learned who LeBron James was, was Sports Illustrated. Who's this guy? Who's this high school phenom? Okay. And so that's. You know, that's that's pretty on point for what that brand was. It's interesting to me that they continued to invest in the next generation of fan with Sports Illustrated kids. Kids, yeah. They were always known for the best sports sports photography, right? Truly iconic oh, yeah. uh, pictures. Uh, you're right. The covers become almost part of the culture, both in terms of who is featured, you know, what is the setting the narrative for the week, but also in terms of, well, if you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated, you're cursed. Right? Yeah, so, but you're also like cemented in sports lore yeah. forever. Like it's, you become an icon instantly when you're instantly, on that Instantly, or at least you used to. And yeah, yeah. You know, Sports Illustrated was also very much known for sports journalism. You go back to the 1970s, 1980s, that's probably where your premier sports journalists were writing. But, you know, the, the world changed, right? I mean, the, the internet came in. Social media came in and, and suddenly a weekly edition of a weekly recap of the world of sports with a couple of days lag didn't cut it right in the, in the in the realm of Twitter where the highlights out there instantly in the commentary. Yeah. The, the world sped up and Sports Illustrated really didn't didn't adapt. But, you know, you, you mentioned a couple of other publications. You mentioned The Athletic. Mm-hmm. You mentioned ESPN. And so you think about the business models or positionings, positions that those brands have taken, and there was probably room, right? I mean, The Athletic is known for collecting all the top sports journalists. So for people that want to read more than an AI-generated 250-word summary of a game, uh, Barstool adapted <laughs> Bleacher, kind of a Bleacher Report. They, they adapt almost more of a editorial perspective on this right you know they're they're coming at it the their coverage from a specific point of view with a different brand voice for sure yeah (laughs) espn tried to become the universal sports 
uh, authority in terms of online. They had their own magazine for a while, right? And, and still the... I the, remember. The you remember the body issue? Yeah, I do. Sorry. I remember the body issue. Okay. <laughs> and the body issue is important, right? So the body issue... Okay, look. So Sports Illustrated, in some ways, seemed like they had a bulletproof positioning, Doug. They were about sports, sports photography, sports journalism. And swimsuit models. And swimsuit models. And so they they gave up on a lot of that stuff. And and look, the swimsuit models, again, this is one of these tightrope kind of issues, but I'm just going to plow ahead. So Sports Illustrated started to do crazy things with their swimsuit edition. Martha Stewart's the most recent that I can recall. Oh, and the Martha Stewart thirst trap has become quite the thing on Instagram, I know. <laughs> I don't know about that, Mike. <laughs> that doesn't come up on my feet. <laughs> but, but the point is, you've got an audience, you've got a core audience, and SI really abandoned that audience over time. And, and some of it was they were retreating as they were, you know, as what they tried didn't work. But at the end of the day, I, when I look at what SI became, and that the swimsuit issue is really this is the most visible part of this, they became less journalism and more clickbait, right? Let's put Martha Stewart on the cover, and you know what? We're going to get a lot of clicks that day. A lot of, a lot of press. A lot of people talking, including the Fanalytics show. <laughs> we're, we're, going to, we're going to be part of the news cycle. Okay, so does that work for building the brand? Apparently not. I think that I think the biggest problem with Sports Illustrated is it seems like largely with kind of the rise of ADD and consumerism, people, like I said, I didn't grow up reading. I kind of looked at the pictures and I I would read like, you know, they have parts of the text that are in bold or that are big. I would like kind of skim through that. I've never read the issues, (laughs) but I feel like today's kids are like even worse. Yeah. Okay. So in the course of this book I'm writing, came across some data, I think from an internal TikTok study, mm-hmm. that videos that go more than, paraphrasing, so I'm not getting the details right, videos that go more than about 30 seconds make Gen Z kids anxious. <laughs> that doesn't make Gen Z kids anxious, Mike. <laughs> you, could, you could do a study on anything and come to that conclusion that... It makes Gen Z kids anxious. So, well, how long we talk a lot about videos, Instagram, TikTok, how Twitter? How long does a video have to go before you start to get bothered because they won't get to the payoff? Right. I'll just say this: when I was in high school, our version of TikTok was <laughs> Vine. Ten second video. <laughs> it was it was capped at eight seconds at one point. I think they extended it eventually. But it was capped at eight seconds. That's the expectation. If you're not getting to the payoff in eight seconds, it's not worth my time. But all that to say is that Sports Illustrated is kind of a deep dive. Like their articles are nuanced, and you know, it's, it's it was a, a lot of great journalism. It was keyword right. right? And I think that my understanding is the Athletic hired a lot of the Sports Illustrated and ESPN writers. Do you remember that SI was also busted about a month ago? as using AI to write articles and then putting fake bylines, creating, creating fake journalists to put, to put the AI generated articles next to. That's phenomenal. I missed that story (laughs) somehow, (laughs) but it probably was like at the nine second mark into whatever video. And I, I didn't make it to the payoff, but nonetheless, it doesn't seem like there's been a forward thinking strategy in terms of video with sports illustrated and maybe inherently with the name being Sports Illustrated, it's tough. But, you know, I, I think that that's where ESPN, obviously Barstool Sports has that down with their podcast being in video format and, and all over social media. You look at Pat McAfee, you know, we're seeing clips on Twitter every day of whatever controversy comes out of that show. Video seems to dominate media far more so than text in the modern era. And I think that Sports Illustrated probably suffered in trying to navigate that. I don't know that they really tried to establish anything, right? I don't know that they really tried to be the top sports journalist. I don't know that they tried to aspire to be the top 
So, I mean, if you go back to the 70s and 80s, they were trying to be the best sports journalism, right? the most visually striking yep. media, and they abandoned all of that. It's so it's it's fascinating, right? The power of that name, and then 20, 25 years of not really investing in an excellent product ends up creating, frankly, just a, a mess. But look, someone could buy that. Uh, you know, so the way the deal went down is they licensed out the name Sports Illustrated to a media company. They failed to make uh, a payment. Someone else can always purchase that that Sports so, Illustrated brand. Inevitably, that will happen, right? I mean, that well, that brand I, is too. It's still as much as it's you know they haven't adapted well. It's still a household name brand mm-hmm. that instantly is well received by a lot of people who know exactly what to expect and who have a you know affinity for the brand. So what what happens with the brand now? Inevitably, someone buys it, right? Because if not, Fanalytics is going to buy it, and this is going to be the Sports Illustrated podcast. Exactly. Well, I I think the issue is to buy it. Yeah, look, I mean, there, there's something else happening here in terms of just you know the how the American economy works. I mean, this in some ways this all screams like one of these private equity deals where they're harvesting where they're harvesting value from a brand name and not investing in it. To run Sports Illustrated correctly, there needs to be an investment in the journalistic side. And I'll be flexible on that. It could be the journalistic side or the social media content side. But there needs to be an investment in the content. The content has to be – look, this is a truth about all sports branding. The content in sports and sports journalism matters far more – then the you know the stake matters more than the sizzle. Yeah, and it seems like Sports Illustrated might not be the only sports brand that's overlooked the content side. Maybe just harvesting the the brand value. I was about to make a point about ESPN, but of course they have invested heavily in Pat McAfee, which has generated a lot of content that has engaged a lot of followers. But you look at we talk about Walt Disney Company from time to time. It seems like Star Wars is a brand that is on that path that sports illustrated is on and that harvesting the value that's already been built, the fandom that's already been built, maybe not focusing so much on creating content that is going to be revolutionary in any way, but just cashing out on what you already have until you milk it dry. And at some point it gets milk dry in the case of sports illustrated. And so it's a strategy that, Short term might make a lot of sense, but in the long term, for a, a powerful brand like Sports Illustrated or a powerful brand like Star Wars, some heavy investment in the content heavy side investment. of things seems to be the, the better long term play. And the other, the other point I want to make in all this is that so much of journalism has moved towards, and look, this is true for a lot of media brands. You can see aspects of this at whatever you think the top, the the top internet brands are cnn.com has a real clickbait aspect to it forbes has a real clickbait aspect to it you cannot do clickbait with one of these brands and not seriously degrade the brand it just doesn't i I, you know do you know who Segway here. It's kind of interesting, the stuff that transcends the generations. Bill Veck was the owner of the Chicago White Sox. So big time or notorious sports owner. Bill Veck did, Bill Veck was the guy that hired a, that put a, a, I think someone that suffered from dwarfism into his lineup because the, the strike zone in baseball goes from, you know, so it's impossible to pitch. And so four pitches, the guy walked. He brought back a guy named Minnie Manola so he could play in four decades, older guy to, to get out there. He put showers in the Comiskey, Comiskey Park bleachers. Did this, so guy, the, did this guy sign Michael Jordan? No, he did. That's okay. the next one. Okay. He had a promotion called Disco Demolition, where they blew up a bunch of disco records. I think it was in like 1979, but started a riot. So the second half of a doubleheader was canceled. One other thing. There was one season, I think, where the Chicago White Sox played in shorts, just to fill out. So Vec was willing to do 
anything. And, and I, as I was thinking about Sports Illustrated, I was thinking that was the earlier generation's clickbait. Yeah. <laughs> Makes the news cycle, gets the press out there. But at the end of the day, who's Chicago's baseball team? It's like when a team breaks out a new pair of alternate uniforms that look ridiculous. Yeah. And you're like what are these? And I guess they sell a couple extra uniforms because there's some fan that wants to own every uniform they've ever worn. But what is this doing for the brand? It feels like it's devaluing it. Do you know, I mean, because I know you like uniforms. Have you ever looked at like the Houston Astros uniforms from the 1970s? I've seen them. Yeah, you know, the, those big kind of orange and brown yeah. kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can't. This is the fundamental truth in sports. You can't trade. You can't. You can't really chase that current noise, right? You've got to. So, who has the best uniform? Better uniforms, the Houston Astros or the New York Yankees? Right, right. It's the same. It's the same kind of principle. Well, it's like it's always weird to me when the Boston Celtics come out and some jersey with like a different font, a different shade of green, and like some shade of gold on the uniform. You're like, what are you doing? Like, you're the Celtics. You're your classic jerseys are like iconic. They are synonymous with excellence in basketball. And if I pay money to go out to, you know, TD Ameritrade to the garden and the Celtics come out and they're dressed like the Washington generals, it just, something feels wrong to me. Yeah. Especially if they, I mean, we've seen this all the time with these city edition. Yeah. These cities where, where it's at some point you kind of, you start to wonder, well, what color is this de- this team? <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. And my favorite is when a team, like at one point, I think Orlando had orange city edition uniforms. And it's like they play the Phoenix Suns or someone that wears orange, you know, and the Suns are wearing blue and and the Orlando Magic are wearing orange. And you're watching on TV and you're like, wait, don't. Like they're wearing, they're wearing each other's colors. <laughs> it, it gets confusing when you have an established brand. I think that it's, I well, think and, that the long term effect is often overlooked because of the short term clicks. And let's, you know, I mean, let, let's be explicit here, right? Because an established brand means that when you have a brand that people know about and it means something to them. Right. And I think when you put it in those terms that people know about it. So, look, if, if someone put money behind Sports Illustrated, they are probably the number two sports media brand in the world tomorrow. Right. On the relaunch. And I already talked about what it means to me. Like I told you about, you know, the posters and the photography and f- learning who LeBron James was when he was 15 or 14 years old. Okay. And so what that. you're saying is that Martha Stewart on the cover of the swimsuit edition <laughs> and 200 word AI generated articles is exactly what it means to you. <laughs> that is what I was getting at. I <laughs> That is exactly what I was getting at. And which the swimsuit, you know, that's probably a discussion for another day, but I I have seen like debate. What could go wrong, right? Yeah, what could go wrong? I I have seen debate on this is just an observation on social media about, you know, go woke or go broke. Like, is it an irony that Sports Illustrated goes under after what they've done with the swimsuit edition? Because apparently a lot of people care about the, the. cherished swimsuit edition you know so that's another i mean we see that in you saw that with bud light you saw that and let me let me flesh that out though because yeah again we're talking the the swimsuit edition so this becomes becomes like we're tiptoeing around controversy here for for god knows what reason sports illustrated swimsuit edition so i was born in 1967 so i remember some of these really iconic issues with Cheryl Tiggs and Christy Brinkley in the late seventies, early eighties. This was something. Okay. So you get your sports illustrated subscription and then suddenly there's this issue with these really attractive women in it. Okay. And, and, and so what does this brand mean to, to you? And it's like, well, that's an important part of the story. Really cool covers. When my team wins the Super Bowl, you're right. I want to put that almost under glass as a, as an exhibit in the house, this, the swimsuit ish, it, issue, again, it's something culturally relevant and they took all of that away. So a swimsuit issue kind of seems sick, silly. And in the, the way technology involved, maybe it didn't really have a place. Yeah. But the proper response would have been to class it up 
do interesting things with it, right? Maybe it gets smaller, but you don't say, hey, it's not real. The classic idea, the classic notions of the swimsuit issue don't really work anymore. So let's just go crazy. <laughs> like, let's just throw it all out and do anything. You just don't do that, right? If you want these things to, if you want these things to work. And, and that phrase, what would you say it was? Go get woke, go broke. Yeah, I don't. I see it all the time. And, and yeah. you know, in the Bud Light controversy or whatever brand it is that week. But I mean, I think with sports fans, there is, we've seen a theme in sports for the last several years with that where, you know, I, I'm not going to say that Sports Illustrated went under because of that. Like, that seems a little far-fetched. I, I, it seems like a very small piece of the puzzle. It's a symptom. It's a symptom. Yeah. Right? It's not. But it does seem like in sports that fans have not responded well to feeling preached at or feeling like any kind of social agenda is being kind of Trojan horsed through their, their sports consumerism, <laughs> whether it was Colin Kaepernick years back or, I, and you see it on both sides. I mean, you, you saw it with Tim Tebow, you see it with, you know, any, any player that's outspoken about anything tends to backfire from a marketing perspective or, or tends to just kind of tarnish the experience for fans. And, so it's it's interesting to me that brands keep pushing for that, keep trying to make that work. Doesn't seem like it's in their best interest financially, and so you know, it's I guess it comes down to some kind of personal conviction. I think it's a very unhappy, like two things happening at the same time, right? So yeah. technology made it impossible for Sports Illustrated to maintain what Sports Illustrated was doing; they needed to adapt, and at the same time. There is a, I, I don't know that we want to call, you know, the, the, these words like woke. There is that element. I feel like everyone knows what you mean by that, though. Yeah. But there is that element of we need to, and we talk about it all the time in terms of entertainment, of we've got to broaden the audiences we're trying to get at. Yeah. And very often it, it ends up meaning that you're abandoning the core principles that got you there with your core audience. And it just, it's never going to work. Well, it just isn't. Yeah. And so it it's like the challenge. I don't know. I think at some point you have to accept that your audience is who your audience is. But for a lot of brands, it's like they always want to extend their audience into another demographic and into, but how do you do that without alienating your original audience? Like, even if it is like the uniforms and you're trying to get Gen Z excited. And so you come out with like a, a unis, uniform designed for, Gen Z. Well, guess what? If you're Alabama football and you do that, you're, you're season ticket holders of 50 years. I mean, shoot, I, I remember, you know, in college at Georgia games, the season ticket holders at Georgia or the boosters, whoever would always complain that they were playing rap music at the games because they did that to appeal to the recruits and to the college students. But it was offensive to a lot of people in the audience because of the language and, and just the style of it or whatnot. And so it's, you know, when you pander to one audience, in a way that alienates your core audience, it's a challenge. And I think whether it's the music of games or the uniforms that are worn or the social issues that you embrace or are silent about or whatnot, it's just a challenge we're seeing time and time again in sports. And I think the takeaway for me at least is that at some point you've got to decide, are we going to give our core audience what they want or are we going to risk losing our core audience to try to gain this other audience, which seems to be what everyone else, what everyone, what all, what a lot of big brands are doing nowadays. Well, Doug, let me be brutal about it. For the most part, marketing groups are not going to be talented, insightful enough or nuanced enough to do what we're talking about. Right. So a marketing group that is, has kind of, an ideological bias or a set of ideological beliefs that tend to be in opposition of the core audience, the core customers is seldom going to be talented enough to walk that tightrope. Okay. Now you mentioned Alabama. Yeah. Alabama football, Doug, <laughs> man, what a week. When I checked last Okay, so there was a hearing in co in Congress about NIL this week, right? It is, it's on fire, right? <laughs> this is getting crazy. 
And on top, and so how's this playing through? Alabama has thirty guys in the transfer portal. It's a it's a nightmare. Alabama is going seven and five next year. I Doug. They're not going seven and five. It, you got to look at their schedule. Alabama's very fortunate, very fortunate to have a, a very winnable schedule. I think they win ten games in the Doug, regular season. Doug, I'm trolling the Crimson Tide fan base right now. Well, I've been trolling them all week on uh, Twitter on my Savage Pads account, and they're a very high engagement rate when you troll Alabama yes. on Twitter. Very high engagement. A lot of people explaining. Why the system's rigged against Alabama now, which is hilarious to hear. Look, last week we talked about this the the issue with losing coaches and this concept of disruption. For Alabama, the disruption when Saban left was always going to be massive, but now you put it in the context of NIL and NIL that is evolving so rapidly and in so many crazy ways that, like I said, Congress is having hearings because the NCAA has essentially given up on trying to, like, and I don't blame the NCAA. Anything the NCAA is going to massively criticize and probably lawsuits created. So it's, it almost has to fall to Congress to step in. Now, as this is occurring, and I know, well, here's what I know from a casual, you're deeper into this than I am. Oh, yeah. Here's what I know. Ohio State has the biggest fan base in America. And Ohio State has the most resources because of that. And Ohio State is about to roll over the rest of college football. Ohio State fans better hope they do. Because if they don't, it's going to get ugly in Columbus. Uh I mean, here here's the deal. So for those of you listening that aren't as familiar, Nick Saban retires. He retires after the transfer portal closes, which means that players cannot transfer to other schools with the caveat, if a school's coach leaves, their players can transfer to other schools. So Saban leaves. I My bet, is, this is pure speculation, my bet is that Saban and Alabama totally miscalculated this, thinking if we wait until after it closes, our guys will have started their spring semester. A lot of them will stick around, give this new coach a chance. Not the case at all. New coach comes in, and it is a fire sale of Alabama talent. And I I misjudge this as well because my perspective on Saban is that he hasn't been that great of an on-field coach in the last couple of years. He's been a great recruiter, and that whoever came in after him, was their best chance at winning a championship was going to be year one and year two because they were going to inherit that Saban talent and inevitably, talent would get less and less every year following. I did not take into account that Alabama's players would not buy into the new coach uh, or give him a chance and leave in a mass exodus, largely because of uh, the lucrative opportunities presented to them. And I, I will always say that I will never blame a 19, 22-year-old for taking millions of dollars to play football. I mean, shoot, I would have – I tweeted this this week, Mike, but – if my college spike squad self that painted up for Georgia football game, someone had offered me a million dollars to go paint up for Auburn, I would have been in that orange and blue, man. I would have, I, which is like heresy for me to say, but I, I get it. These college kids, you know, the money talks to them. And Isaiah Bond was the first one out. You know, he was Alabama's leading receiver. And then Caleb Downs, arguably their best player, definitely their best young player, future top 10 pick, I believe, was going to transfer to Georgia. Apparently, Rumor had it he was moving into his apartment in Athens and Ohio State made a bigger offer and he's leaving for Columbus, which Ohio State was always in the mix with his recruiting from high school. A five-star quarterback rumor, just left. The rumor sounds like on Caleb Downs about $1.7 million. Yeah, that's okay. that's what I've seen. And, and I think, you know, I, I think that Ohio State, I, I saw they had paid something like $13 million in total to players they've acquired via the transfer portal. Not and to, that's the number I wanted you to say, Doug. That's where I wanted this yeah, to go. Yeah, not to mention the players that they're retaining to keep exactly. from transferring. And so here's my takeaway. Michigan wins a national championship. Worst thing that could happen for Ohio State fans, but probably the best thing that can happen for Ohio State football because the vault was open at that point. The safe was unlocked. Ohio State is willing to do anything and spend any amount of money, overpay for any coach, any player, in order to 
to make things right again. And that's what we're seeing. And it's going to be an arms race because guess what? You know, I think next offseason, there's going to be some other teams that are like, what if we what if we do it at Ohio State? What if we turn it around in one year? What if, you know, you bring in a new head coach and then you buy a roster and try to win a championship in year one? I, I mean, okay. I, I think so that might be a model for, for some teams. And it might be. But L is still evolving. And what I think we're seeing now as we get towards at least the short-term equilibrium is that money is going to talk in an interesting way, right? I mean, we, we've, we've talked about NIL for a while, that, like the idea that, you know, these bigger brands, Notre Dame is going to have more NIL resources. Alabama's, you know, they're going to be able to pay. Yeah. But I think what we're seeing, Doug, is something where the marginal value of players varies a lot across college football. And so I suspect that we're th- this could be playing out in a very strange way, right? Where the the marginal value of Caleb Downs might be more to Ohio State because they need to beat Michigan to keep their fan base engaged. But like even like a basic thought experiment. If you're the second tight end at Georgia last season. You're behind this guy, Brock Bowers, who's the top tight end in college football. So what are you worth to Georgia? Not as much as you are to Georgia's rivals. Not as much. And you think it through, right? So if you're the second best tight end at Georgia, maybe you're going to be a third round pick. That's pretty good. But are you winning and are you helping Georgia win an an incremental game? No. And I I, I mean, I've made that point. Taking away the injuries, right? And so... But if you go to Ole Miss or Illinois or whoever, maybe you are worth an incremental game. So all the incentives are now laid out for this to really accelerate, if anything. And I don't know, you know, every team I look at has lost a minimum of about 10 guys. I saw Alabama at 30. Your Georgia Bulldogs. I think had 20 guys in the transfer portal over 20 Florida state did too. So we may be seeing a little bit of an evening out of the talent, but only only Mm -hmm. to the teams with the deep pockets. Yeah. So like Texas, let me me say one other inflammatory thing here. (laughs) What's amazing about this situation of the deep pockets. Remember the schools still aren't paying. (laughs) So right now, the schools have a situation where they are charging fans to come to the stadium and they are also essentially asking fans to donate donate to pay the players. That's pretty amazing. I think that like with with Downs if if they'd given Georgia a shot and if they you know if they told the fans, "Hey, we got to match 1.7 million." And they pass an offering basket around at the G Day game. I think they do it. Like I think the fans put that money together. So I've always joked about the whole offering basket thing. But I heard people on uh, radio in Alabama talking about, you know, Alabama fans need to start giving their ten percent not to the church, but to the Alabama athletic department, to the other church, yeah, the, the real church. And so you know, it, it is when people talk about it being a religion in the South. That's my new story to tell them, like to, to give them an idea, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little out of hand on the one hand, it's kind of fun to keep up with. Honestly, I was, I was loving first off watching Alabama kind of crumble is always fun for other sec fans. Keeping up with downs, obviously as a Georgia guy, I was hoping to get him, but it is one of those things. And you made a good point where you think about the marginal wins and losses that it brings you as a fan or as a Georgia fan, you look at Georgia, they had the number one safety two years ago, the number two safety last year and the number one safety this year in terms of recruiting. So does getting the number one safety from last year, does that add an incremental win for the team? Like would would Georgia have beaten Alabama this year had Caleb Downs played for Georgia and not Alabama, which could have happened. I don't know, like having watched that game, I don't know that like Georgia's safeties played pretty much lights out. And of course, Downs did for Alabama too. But it, it's just it's hard to see the value in terms of. I, I imagine if you had a budget, if you had a cap, a salary cap, and you're allocating it, that's not the player that you go to at a, at a position where you loaded. And so, but for Ohio State, it's very different. And 
I think what's interesting about Ohio State and Texas is it feels more like baseball because there is no salary cap. And these guys don't seem to have any limit. There's no ceiling. They're willing to spend whatever they need to to get the players that they really want. And I think both of those teams are going to be in the top four for as long as they're doing that simply because of the talent. I hope I'm wrong because Texas A&M took that kind of approach a few years back with Jimbo Fisher and it blew up beautifully. And, and most of those players have since transferred. Okay. I want to say two more things about NIL and then move on. Number one, the smart colleges are thinking about getting out of sports at this point. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead serious when I say that. This is going to go in a way where it's going to be kind of confusing and very much inconsistent with the educational mission. And it's only going to – we're moving towards a winner-take-all model where there's going to be some winners. There aren't going to be a lot of winners. The second thing is if you're Congress, this is free advice if you're Congress, what you have to do with NIL is you have to put structures in place where the NIL deals have to make economic sense. That's what – Right? There there has to be something where – Okay, you, look, Caleb Williams does ads for Dr. Pepper or Total, Wendy's. Totally makes sense. That's fine. Yeah. If you're just making Caleb Downs is, again, the rumors, so who knows if any of it's true. $1.7 million for what? That has to be specified if they want to get this stuff under control. And And it seems like from day one everyone's thought was there's going to be loopholes where boosters can just create businesses and pay these guys to post on instagram one time for and it turned out it's all a loophole right for 1.7 million dollars and it's like you know thought some of that might go under the radar it's very blatant what what's happening and it's what's interesting to me is that they're talking about these packages as if the schools are paying them like they're saying you know, Ohio State's offering a 1.7. Georgia only offered them 1 million. And, you know, Alabama, blah, blah, blah. I have no idea what, what the numbers are there. But you hear people say stuff like that. And it's like, Georgia can't pay them. And Ohio State can't pay them. So you're saying the local businesses in, in Columbus are offering him $1.7 million? Or is Nike offering him $1.7 million to go play for Ohio State? Or is, you know, it like, who's, whose money is this? It's just the, the boosters? So that's the, that's the athletic department. Yeah. It has to become transparent. And like I said, it has to be specified what the agreements are about. Otherwise, this is just. Also, there's this notion that everyone's tampering. That I, And I know like Caden Proctor, Alabama's starting tackle. I think he was a freshman All-American this year. He said it in an interview this week. It's on video. He said, yeah, Iowa reached out to me in the middle of the season when I was when I was having a <laughs> tough stretch. And, you know, they said, come on home. And when the season ended, I went, it's like this tampering, right? Like he just, he just admitted to it. I know that Florida State uh, is under some fire for tampering of, I believe, a Georgia player last year. But my understanding is that everyone's tampering and everyone kind of knows it. Since Florida State's getting some kind of backlash, can you imagine a scenario where they actually are thorough and finding everyone that's tampering or doing NIL deals that aren't actually in exchange for services or, or, or advertising or any kind of marketing from the players. And you see Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, all you know, LSU, Florida State, all these teams, Notre Dame, all these teams on probation, and we get a national championship between the teams that are that are not I'm doing that. All three of them. Because probation? Do we still do probation? I don't know. I don't know what we do in CAA. I don't know what I mean, Michigan just won a national championship in the middle of a cheating scandal that they more or less admitted to. So I, I don't know how it works now, but it seems like if that's how the NCAA is gonna behave, then that no one does, Doug. Then yeah, it's just a free for all. Okay. You mentioned Michigan. That's our next transition point to Okay, Doug, I was a little disappointed in the NFL season this this past year because it didn't, I don't know, the, the, the storylines didn't resonate. You didn't want to see the Chiefs make another AFC championship? No, I don't. <laughs> and I don't want to see, I don't want to see, who's this this woman? Taylor? Taylor, Taylor Swift? Taylor. I, I don't want to see her dance in the with 
Mahomes' wife, I think. I, I, I don't want to see it. Okay. But the playoffs playoffs have, have created have created what we love about football. And you mentioned Michigan. Michigan is the center of the football universe. And I want the Detroit Lions to go to the Super Bowl. And interestingly, my favorite personality on the Detroit Lions is the coach. Love the key is coach is the star of that team. He's he's an all timer between the coach Eminem and the crowd. The Detroit Lions are a very likable team, and the fact that they're the Detroit Lions, they're notoriously awful historically, <laughs> and so yeah. the fact that they are one game away from playing in a Super Bowl. Of course, they've got a tough one against the 49ers, who have had their own struggles. Brock Purdy not, not winning yeah. pretty. Dan Campbell has got an amazing future in the announcing booth when he hangs it up from He seems coaching. like he could have been a pro wrestler. He also seems like he could have like his own Pat McAfee type show. Exactly. The same kind of, the same kind of ultra-likable <laughs> vibe. Yeah, alpha, bright, alpha male. Alpha male. Yeah, so... On one side, we've got that showdown. And, of course, you know, you, you mentioned Michigan. It seems like Jim Harbaugh's leaving for the NFL. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it doesn't, seem, it doesn't seem like he would be interviewing with every team and then telling Michigan he needs all these clauses that, that they're never going to agree to. Now, Doug, I will also say this, that even though I'm rooting for the Lions, everything, I watched every game. I'm paying, you know, I'm like locked in. I'm watching all the commentary. The conspiracy theory about the NFL script writers seems to be like a memo went out. They cannot go two minutes without talking about how this is Lamar Jackson's Super Bowl. This is, the media is totally unified that this is Lamar Jackson's turn to become the next elite quarterback. So we've got, this upcoming week, Lamar Jackson versus Patrick Mahomes. I don't even want, you know, the, sto- the storyline is this guy that hasn't gotten respect. He's going to win his second MVP award. They, they mention that every time they talk about him. He is going to defeat Patrick Mahomes, or he needs to defeat Patrick Mahomes to become this, I don't know, another one of the three or four truly elite quarterbacks. Mahomes at the top, Lamar Jackson in that second group with, Whoever Josh Allen, yeah, it seems like that is this. Josh Allen seems like he's kind of taken a little bit of a beating of he has not delivered that big win. He's got that Peyton Manning syndrome with Tom Brady, with with of course Patrick Mahomes being this era's Tom, always always getting it done in the postseason. Allen is phenomenal to watch. The Buffalo Bills, their fans have showed out. You know they've. They've shoveled that stadium. They've jumped on tables. They've lit their butts on fire. And they've watched their team come up just short once again. It reminds me, Mike, as a Georgia fan, it reminds me of Georgia-Alabama, where no matter what the circumstances are and and how favored your team is and playing at home and and having that home atmosphere, it always feels like somehow the Chiefs are going to pull it out. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But let me ask you a different question. Do you feel bad for the Buffalo fans? Because I completely feel for those guys. I found myself rooting for Detroit and Buffalo. I don't even think I liked the Bills team, but I love the Bills fans. It's like I found myself rooting for a city during that game last night. You root for the fans with Buffalo. as a If you're not a Buffalo Bills fan and if you're a neutral guy watching a game and you're like, man, how could you – how could you want to watch these guys lose? And the manner in which they've lost, I mean, you go back a couple years, they had a neck-and-neck shootout game with the Chiefs in the AFC Championship, a year in which the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. And that game came down to a coin toss because both teams were scoring at will. Chiefs win the coin toss in, in overtime, and the Chiefs win the game. And and so the Bills, they fought, you know, they've been resilient as a fan base. They, they have not been disheartened. They've been, if anything, rejuvenated by this team's you know whether it was demar hamlin or any kind of hardship that they've witnessed it seems to just fuel them and so to watch them in a game at home where the fans literally were the ones that made the game possible by shoveling the field and shoveling the stands 
and then uh, you know dropped because dropped why? touchdowns in the fourth quarter and and Josh Allen throwing dimes 60 yards down the field that are going through their top receivers hands and then a, a dumb fake punt I mean it's just stuff that is just so hard to watch as a fan and when you care about it as much as those fans do Man, I mean, that one fan really summed it up. The the fan who looked to be a grown man just weeping as as mm-hmm. time ticked down on the clock, and the Chiefs took a knee because he knew he knew what was happening, and he knew that it's going to be you know the, it doesn't matter what happens in the regular season, you know it's going to be a whole year before they even get another shot to to take that next step. Doug, I like I said, I legitimately felt bad for the people in Buffalo. The way that game, the way that game ended, that is a fan base that, and I'm sure there are others that compare, but I have to think that that is the best fan base in the NFL in terms of being a team fully integrated into the community. And maybe Green Bay mm-hmm. is is similar given the size of that town, but Green Bay also has this national following. The Bills fans, they're alone, they're isolated, they're they're. There are very few Bills fans outside of that market, but you get the sense that everyone in that market is a fan. I've never met someone from Buffalo that's not a Bills fan. I even love the fact that why would you build a dome in Buffalo? Right? I mean, this seems to be the only stadium that regularly gets snow in the modern NFL. And there, rather than build a dome, rather than build some modern palace, right? They just have the the fans come in and shovel. There is nothing not to, there's nothing not to like. Pay them twenty bucks. <laughs> they, I mean, shoot, with those fans, they could probably charge them. They could probably charge them twenty bucks to get to be a part of it. Come be a part of Bill's history. Be the one that <laughs> cleared out the stadium so we could have the game that put us into the Super Bowl, which didn't happen. But yeah, Bills fans gave it their all, jumping on tables. You know who was fun it was Kelsey, the Kelsey brother. Jason Kelsey. Yeah, yeah, so it's like Travis Kelsey in the booth. He's always got America's sweetheart from here on out because he's got yeah. Jason Kelsey. And then Taylor Swift is also there. Yeah, I don't I don't like Travis Kelsey. His beard's a little too manicured. He's a little too Seems like he, something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people brother, don't. I think the some of the brand the alignments is, for him have the brother is a caveman. The brother seems awesome. Yeah. The brother is out there drinking with the Bills fans. Before the he's, game. Before the game. Tailgating. He's shirtless <laughs> in the in the in the in the box. Did you see this where he climbed over the edge and went out and, you know, did a fist bump to some of the fans? He's like one of us. Like he's Yeah. He's I mean, he was pulling for the Chiefs, but I feel like the Bills fans even felt like respect. That guy, he's one of us. He was clearly drunk. <laughs> Right with his shirt off. You know what? I I'm not going to say that. I don't know if he was drunk. Hey, people probably said that about me in college on the Spike Squad, and we had a policy where we couldn't drink. But you, I can't tell you how many people were like, "Dude, I saw you on the big screen. You looked hammered." Like, nope, I was totally sober. That was just me at a football game. The video I'm talking about, he's holding a Bud Light, right, shirtless. So, and and I'm guessing there was alcohol in the 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 the. The, what was that sort of almost bomb-shaped bomb, thing yeah. that he took, that, yeah. that he drank with the Bills fans? Presumably. So it's a supposition I'm making. But yeah, God, Jason Kelsey, he was the top Kelsey in that game for me. I, I enjoyed his I enjoyed his effort. It's going to be, it'll be interesting to see where he goes with his career from here because he, he seems like one of those big old offensive linemen that's going to find a studio role as being that kind of gruff, big old offensive lineman type. I think so. And I think the Kelsey's have positioned themselves via their podcast. And then, of course, this last year or so, the kind of public, of course, Travis's dating life has contributed. But Jason's had his own fame in Philadelphia. I mean, he's beloved by that fan base, respected, you know, had a very long career and Cameras were certainly following him as he left the field this postseason for the Eagles. As you know, I guess it's expected that he's going to retire, and so I certainly would expect. You know, I expect more ads for him. To be frank, I think he kind of benefits from Travis's fame. I know a lot of. I was talking to a Swifty last week, and she was 
telling me about how she started listening to their pod, to the Travis and Jason Kelsey podcast and how she's, you know, she's a fan of Jason Kelsey because he, she likes listening to him talk every week. And she likes, you know, she's like, they're really cool guys and they have all this cool stuff. And it's like, they got the Swifties behind them. But man, if, if that relationship, we've said this for forever, Travis, Travis's status with the female white girls across America can change overnight in a heartbeat. It's just going to take one song. Just one song. Yeah. So, I mean, it's playing, playing with fire, playing with fire. But right now, right now that that's been a big win for the Kelsey family. Okay. But again, you know, going full circle to where we started with Taylor is kind of clickbait, right? I mean, she, she brings the eyes, she brings the media. Is this really doing a lot for the NFL for fandom? I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. Maybe it does something for the Kelsey's. The other thing I wanted to add about the Kelsey video is that part of the reason when I saw the, when I saw, I think it was a still on uh, Instagram, I blew it up to see what beer he was drinking. Right. See if it was Bud Light. And it was Bud Light. Okay. And so So Bud Light's officially back. Well, I guess, but then I opened up the comments and I know what comments I'm going to see. And here was my favorite was my favorite because this is not my actual favorite, but it's sort of so perfect for what 2024 looks like. The fact that he's drinking Bud Light and his brother was paid 20 million to hawk Pfizer shit is all you need to know about the NFL. And (laughs) just about every comment was centered on the Bud Light and you know, so essentially it's centered on the politics below the surface in all of this. Right. And so even a guy like Kelsey, again, big old gruff offensive lineman. Alpha male. Brand positioning, alpha male. Got to be careful with your choice of beverages because Bud Light is not going to be forgotten anytime soon, seemingly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think someone like Jason Kelsey just – could care less about what the comment section thinks, but comment sections have gotten increasingly predictable. I, it's gotten where Mike, yeah. every week I'll send you a video or a, a headline and you'll respond. Like I'm guessing, I'm guessing the comment section is saying this and then I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll verify that. It's pretty much always consistent. So. Okay, Doug, my favorite comment section this week, <laughs> because again, completely predictable. Okay. So Caitlin Clark, she flopped the, Best basketball player in America. The only basketball, college basketball player in America anyone knows. Right. Okay. The general public knows. So following Iowa's defeat, Caitlin plays for Iowa by Ohio State. A fan or Caitlin, they they ran into each other and Caitlin went down and sort of limped off saying she had had the wind knocked out of her. Doug, you kind of, you anticipated where the comments section went. Just about every comment. You know what? You know how you know Caitlin's made it? They treat her like LeBron. It was almost universal complaining about the flops and who actually ran the She threw her neck back, even though her head didn't get hit. You know, she just got hit by Prime Ray Lewis running through there. So, yeah, my favorite was that the girl that hit her tried to play it off like nothing happened. Like, you just ran into the only college basketball player, according to media, and knocked her out potentially for i mean for for all we knew she could have been out for the season she could have, i mean i don't know she could have broken her collarbone let's say but she just plays it off like like it never happened and it reminded me of like southwest like the the old commercials want to get away where there's that <laughs> moment where she hesitates and she realizes what she's done and yeah i mean i i don't know I heard that the athletic director for ohio state had, had reached out to caitlin clark to make sure she was okay i don't know what this means obviously all year there's been talk in college football especially about storming the field and is this safe nowadays with of course we saw a player punch a fan in that one i think it was lsu Ole miss game (laughs) we talked about that one and and last year jermaine burton at alabama assaulted a female on the field which of course there were comments in the comment sections of caitlin clark about, about jermaine burton inevitably but you know, I, I think that if you're a women's basketball fan or if you're pulling for that sport, I think the big takeaway from this is 
well, it kind of stinks that Kalen Clark got hit. But if you look beyond that, the fact that you have a packed out basketball arena with fans storming the field, storming the court like it's college football for a women's basketball game, I don't know the last time I see that. But the star power of someone like Kalen Clark not only brings fandom to a team like Iowa, but brings it to their opponents and brings some excitement around those games. And so, you know, for the sport and for the fandom, it was like, wow, this might be a good thing, even though, of course, you hope Caitlin's okay. And it sounds like she is. And I, I'll be honest, she was she was running full speed or at least three-quarter speed, not looking up. Like, I, I get why people were being critical of her in the comment section. I'm not even going to, you know, like, I'm not even going to call it star power because I, I don't actually know what it is. Manufactured I, I think it's more, star power. Well, it's a spectacle yeah. at this point. And you create a spectacle, people want to be a part of that spectacle. And I, I agree with you. The fact that they're storming the court is great for college basketball. It means that it means it means something to them. It means something. They've succeeded. Yeah. Like I said, the fact that the comment section immediately went to accusing her of flopping means she's being treated exactly like LeBron James would have. Right. So it is it may be manufactured, but Caitlin Clark is a legitimate American sports star at the moment. So it's I think for Caitlin, I think I've said this before, and I think the key is and of course, she's she's free to do what she wants to do. It's her you know, it's her life, her decisions, her convictions. But she is like one sports icon. I have no idea who she's going to vote for. I have no idea what she believes about anything. I just watch her play and it's pretty incredible what she does. And I think that that's part of her kind of universal appeal where it doesn't seem like, I mean, you say she's getting the LeBron treatment. I don't know that she has that real hatred that LeBron gets. Uh, she's not as no. divisive. She's, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah, I do. And it's, it's she's being treated like she's a legit, like she is a real, you know. You know, you're, just you're, le- you're viewed as legitimate when you're being trolled by the comment section for, yeah. for your flopping. And so she's viewed as legitimate by sports fans. And I think for her, like, Again, like the difference in her and like Megan Rapino. Of course, Rapino didn't have a great year last year on the field, or yeah, on the field. But you know, Caitlin's kind of she's. It seems to me, and this could be wrong. We could find out differently. Seems to me that she's just all about ball. She's got you know. I don't even think it's a Michael Jordan like Republicans sell sneakers too mentality. I, I don't think she even considers. Republicans or Democrats, or I think she's just a baller. She's just out there doing her game. She's she's perfecting her craft, kind of like Kobe mentality almost. And I think that that's good for her because I think that she's not alienating people. Even in the way you mentioned the comment section for Travis Kelsey and and, and you know some of his affiliations divide people on him as a figure. And frankly, that's in spite of the best efforts of a lot of folks in sports media to almost create this, you know, a, a, a narrative between her and Angel Reese that has some some racial racial over overtones, right? And also the fact that she's being paid likely more than yeah. just about every men's college basketball player. Like yeah. there's some there's some like gender equality undertones in her story yeah. that you'll hear, but she doesn't she, she doesn't embrace she doesn't play the victim. She doesn't like she just like I said, well, she, she seems like she's just there to play ball, and that's what she does. And everybody let's, seems let's to admire. Say this. It's still early. Yeah, you know, it, it's almost inevitable that the modern athlete is forced to take sides, right? It, it's very difficult to not take sides in this in this type of environment, in particular if you, you know, w- one side is obviously much more embraced than the other side. So it's a it's a tightrope for her to navigate. I'm look. I'm glad that she's staying out of it because that it's it's like that old quote from the '80s movie War Games. The only way to win is actually not to play. <laughs> the only way to succeed in this is to just stay neutral and to play basketball. Okay, you, Doug, you mentioned gonna... you mentioned script writers in the NFL and how it's playing out for obviously the logo theory of Ravens 49ers to to come to fruition. Script writers for women's college basketball. Is there any way Caitlin Clark? doesn't win a national championship this year. It feels like that's the, been the story since you the know, off season. And how does it not play out? Doug, what's funny about that, right? Is LSU was the, I think the preseason number one team. Yeah. And despite, but here's my observation. I have no idea how good the rest of the Iowa basketball team is. 
despite knowing so much about Caitlin Clark, I have no idea if Iowa has another player has a player over six foot tall, right? I mean, I, I'm guessing they do, but I don't, I don't know. So yeah. th- that's the strangeness of this spectacle of, yeah, there's this Caitlin Clark who makes these great facial expressions. She tells people they're short that she can't even see them. <laughs> and she, she hits these 25 foot shots that just, that it doesn't look, it doesn't look right for, for the, for the woman's game, the distance she's shooting from. But again, I don't know. I don't know how that translates when she has to play against. I, I was going to try and say some of the other names, but like the the, the woman from Connecticut, Paige Buchner's, right. Buchers, I think, right. the Angel Reese and the loaded LSU team. I don't know if they're. I don't even know if they're the favorite to in terms of the I betting odds. I don't think with, they're the favorite. But if like if anything's scripted, it's just hard to imagine her. You know, losing a close one last year, and yeah. then coming back, not going to the WNBA. And it seems like if there's a script, it's got to end with with Caitlin Clark going out on top, and we get the thirty for thirty soon thereafter. Okay, Doug, I'll say this last word: Th- she is going to be the first athlete where I was re- where I'm really interested in terms of what happens in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. Is she able to take that level of collegiate fr- fame and actually do something in the NBA, or does it all kind of? fizzle and she just becomes another WNBA kind of player that we don't pay that much attention to. We'll we'll have to see how that plays out. Okay, we'll wrap it here. We're a little over an hour, so as always, more content at fandomanalytics.com. Thank you.